0: You're listening to the Sestran Dreamcast, Episode 3, PSN Get 6.9. The Sestran Dreamcast is brought to you by Sestran, a community and news site catering to the core gamer that focuses on quality over quantity. Stop on by at www.sestran.org and join us on the forums. This week, we look at the PSN network outage. we decide whether reviews are relevant anymore in this day and age, and we look at the current offerings and the future offerings of Nintendo. Joining us again today are our recurring guests, JP and Basil, and hopefully this week we will actually have Movie 2 director joining us, assuming everything goes as planned. However, before moving to the first topic of today, we have a special message from our friend Basil.
1: Hi. We are actually showing this episode as well in the Audcast, Awesomecast podcast feed because this is an awesome podcast. just not called the Awesomecast But I tend to be on it a lot, so you really should be listening to this one as well. The same.
0: All right, so let's move on to our first topic of the day. We're actually going over a uh, somewhat uh, controversial topic that we discussed last week before the show, but we didn't have enough time to actually get into on the show, and that's the idea of – game reviews video game reviews the question is do you still use them do they make sense to you in their current form and i have a bit of a strong opinion on these and in regards to uh, how useful or unuseful they may be but before we get to that i'd actually like to hear your opinions on them but we're talking about professional game reviews we're talking about sites like ign gamestop joystick you know day to day when you guys make your purchasing decisions how much weight do professional game reviews have on your opinion and do you think that they're actually useful to you in their current form?
1: Uh, I think for most gamer enthusiasts, they tend to use reviews as not so much of what they're going to buy, but for validation for what they're already planning on purchasing.
0: Okay, so you think that they pretty much know what they want to get, but they still stop by at the last minute to look at the review just to feel good about that $60 that they're about to, to spend.
1: Right, and then they, then they post when it's one point off what they feel should be actually the score.
0: Well, and I don't necessarily mean only review scores, because I'm not referring only to review scores, but in their entirety right now, the way that items are reviewed is it's it's an opinion. You know, a person comes down and tells you, essentially, I liked this game, or I did not like this game. Do you honestly feel that that has usefulness for the thousands or tens of thousands of people who might be reading this review and making their purchasing decisions based off of that? Do you feel personally that that's genuinely useful to you?
1: It depends on the person reviewing it. I really don't know how else one can truly review something, because in the end, when this is an entertainment medium, it's something that you're playing for enjoyment. So really, when it comes down to it, when a person's telling you the review, they're telling you whether they enjoyed it or not. It's really hard to not do that when you're doing a review.
0: Right but we'll see so then the question comes is should there actually be reviews? in other words, do reviews in and of themselves make sense should and, and this is my personal opinion here should the news uh, outlet or whatever it might be blog whatever they want to call themselves, should they simply present you with all of the necessary information you need about the item you're purchasing We're talking about technical, Issues or visual comparisons between other titles, or for the for the system maybe data, you know, information, game length, variety so, of side quests, things so like that.
1: more of a consumer's report, type right? Review
0: and ultimately you take the data that is there and you make your own informed decision based on what you've gotten there, as opposed to. Something that may or may not apply to you, depending on who the person doing this is. And, and let's face it, I mean, oftentimes we go to these websites and we see a review for something that we were looking forward to, and we go, oh, crap, this guy got the review. And we know for a fact that, you know, we hate this guy. We don't want to listen to what this guy has to say about any game. But this is our news outlet of choice, and we're stuck with a review that really isn't useful to us because we know this guy always hates RPGs or Western RPGs Eric or whatever. Brodvig. we're talking I mean, about you. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is that there's these couple of names that everyone knows, these guys that, you know, everyone personally hates. I mean, what about you, JP? I mean,
2: well, my first off and so far as reviews, I look at them to get some insights into the game. Very rarely do they influence my purchasing decisions. That said, there have been times where a review has influenced a purchasing decision. And generally for me, they wind up being negative instances.
0: But do you feel that what influences you in those instances is the person's enthusiasm for the game, their personal... Right, okay. Uh, And and, you've had a negative experience with that.
2: Right, and my example, and I'm so sorry, Basil, but my example is Ridge Racer 3D. Everyone was praising the hell out of this game, and personally, I don't generally like racing games unless Mario characters are involved, and I went and I picked up Ridge Racer 3D because I wanted another game for my 3DS, And at first I enjoyed it, but once I got to the second set of circuits, I started hating it because it was so repetitious and the AI was so cheap that, you know, I actually traded it in. I just hated the game.
0: Right, and Basil brought this up, is that, you know, how do you do, at at least in in the form that reviews exist now, how do you create a review without your personal enthusiasm coming through? And, you know, does that taint the... I don't want to say that reviews have to be objective, because there's always going to be some degree of of subjectivity to everything, but at the same time, does it to some degree taint the image that's being painted of this game by this journalist, right? So... You get infected by this by this enthusiasm that this person is conveying through the review, and you make a, a purchasing decision based on that, and maybe not necessarily based on what you read and I, I like what you mentioned earlier, and this is how I am too is that when I go through a review, I look for gameplay points or interesting facts about the game, things that I know can 't be fudged by the reviewer based on their enthusiasm, you know, I'll know that the game is at the very least, you know, or approximately this length, or I know that there are this many side quests, I know that, you know, maybe a game can be played beyond the ending, small little things that I know are important to me, because the rest of it, visuals, backstory, you know, all of this stuff is things that I can get from promotional materials from the developer, from trailers, from whatever it might be, interviews, or dev diaries, or... Millions of other things that the, the developer provides beforehand. I don't need a reviewer telling me that. What I need from them is how does the game play? How does this function? How does that function? Does the game have terrible technical glitches that would impede me from enjoying you know things like that? I don't know if um, I I don't know if you completely agree with that sentiment. Um, what about you, movie two? Do you have any op- opinions in regards to the usefulness of reviews for purchasing decisions?
3: Oh, I think they're. They're useful for sure, in my opinion. I like to go through them and kind of just skim through it, and exactly what you're saying is look for what appeals to me about the game and the review and not necessarily just every little detail that they give out. Like for me, I'll, I'll read the beginning you know, paragraph or whatever and then kind of skim through it, and then the closing comments is probably what I concentrate on the most with a lot of the reviews. Because in there, I usually find what I need to know, more importantly, on how they enjoyed it or what they thought about it overall in the quick review. Um, But yeah, mostly I I can get what I want to know from trailers as well, or from what the fact sheets say about games. And I can get an idea of what I think I like about it from that. I kind of use reviews as a, you know, last resort on, okay, is this for sure what I want to get? And then go from
1: there. Frankly, if so much media there is about just, Games and stuff where you can watch trailers, you can play demos, you get dev diaries. You know a lot of that information out there is already out there before you even have a chance to for the reviewer to even pick up and play the game to review it. And so I think a lot of people who are like you know the kind of people who would listen to this podcast already make their decisions before they even go out to the store and then they review re- read the reviews afterwards. And so I think they also use this as a validate like as a validation tool, but so those, those things that's really weird. Like, I don't want to read a review that's like I would read a review for buying a car or, or a blender. I, I just know that's how they do it in media. Like, you don't look at a book review and go, well, this had 20,000 words.
2: Well,
0: but at the same time, you actually have – I mean, you make a valid point there because there's two t- two sides to this coin. So, yeah, for us – for people who are more informed about a game long before the game is ever released. I mean, we know every single possible fact about the game before it ever, you know, gets released. You know, at that point, yeah, it just serves as kind of a validation to say, hey, you know what, the the, the, the review community as a whole hasn't panned it, so there's a pretty good chance that it's not going to be terrible, and it validates our, our purchase decision. But then at the same time, you have to stop and realize that for your average consumer, or at least the way i think of it is your average consumer sees these people as subject material experts in other words that these people know what they're talking about and if these people are telling you that this game should be good they're the people that should know because they're the gurus and they're the people with a great understanding of of this medium that you know your average consumer doesn't understand and so you know at that point it could be misleading to these people to believe that they should purchase something simply because they were told that it was good by someone who should supposedly know better than everyone else. But in fact, like I said, it's all it's all opinion.
2: Well, you know? on that point, my biggest issue is who is writing the reviews. Because um, you're talking about gurus writing reviews and all this. Quite frankly, almost everyone at IGN or at GameSpot are fucking incompetent. Especially GameSpot. GameSpot is the most god-awful website for video game reviews I have ever seen in my life. I mean, it is amazing. If you go read the Steel Diver review that they put on there, it's absurd. The guy completely had no idea what he was talking about, and he writes for two pages about nothing, just whining about the controls. And at IGN, there's issues. A big example for me is Infinite Space. The reviewer of Infinite Space put incorrect information in the review. It says that you can't heal yourself in between battles or during battles and that's false.
0: So that's what I'm saying. I mean this is that's important well, I mean that could be potentially important information depending on the game. I, I haven't played enough of it to know, but let let's assume it is. So my perspective is here, you lay out the facts of a game. You lay out relevant information on a game, you know, and you make sure that it's factually correct if it's indisputable fact and a person bases their decision off of this the, then at this point it doesn't matter of you know Eric Brodvid reviewed it or you know whoever else reviewed it it's a matter of you know that what these people are giving you is good coverage of what you're getting and you make your own decision based on the information well, that you got
3: you get that
2: anyway from previews i mean the the whole review thing is ideally you want someone that has a good competence level of gaming to tell you what was successful in a game and what wasn't. And but
0: isn't that ultimately, you know, of a technical nature? Because uh, there anything else is, is a perspective. Not, Everything not, else is zero. your own perspective,
1: isn't it? Well, uh, in, in the end, you know, you, you're you're looking for recommendations. I'm going to tell you I thought Infinite Space was a bomb ass awesome game and this is why, or I might or JP might go Man, that rich racer sucked ass. Here's why. And In the end, all you really can do is when you're someone telling you, "Did I enjoy this or not?" And unfortunately, I think all those technical deals that you're that you want, I just don't think most people are looking for.
2: Right.
0: Okay. Well, one and and then maybe there's a there's a there's a bit of a disconnect here in terms because when I say you know necessarily technical details, I'm not talking about frame rates or Although those are definitely important to a lot of people you know whether they're screen tearing frame rates um, technical glitches and things like that obviously you're not gonna base your pur- purchasing decision on whether or not there's an unfinishable quest in a game but you are gonna base it off of for instance I mean some- something that is important to me that I've, I've mentioned this in several instances in the past is I will not play a game that uses save points unless I can save whenever I want, or it uses some other reasonable save method, method, you know, such as frequent checkpoints, I will not play that game, because I, it's simply technically impossible for me to play that game. And this is the kind of information that I would like included in, you know, any review where it might be pertinent. And there are other gameplay things, you know, like you could say, you know, for instance, the learning curve of a game, depending on the complexity of, for instance, you know, moves or combos, if it's a fighting game, or things like that, you know, so that you know that I've played this type of game before, and this sounds familiar, and this doesn't sound like something that I could play, you know, something that I could enjoy. So they give you a general idea of what type of game it is, not just how quickly the, the, the frames refresh or whatever it might be, but just a general idea of how the game plays from a gameplay standpoint, and at that point, because ultimately what matters is the gameplay. And so the story is, is going to be it's completely subjective. I mean, there could be the worst story in the world, and you know, you're know you always going to find people who are going to enjoy it. And if you like the premise, it's up to you to decide whether the story is good or not. You don't need someone to tell you that. So from a gameplay perspective, I think that there can be a sort of a neutral approach from the game reviewers that would allow for their interpretation of, of, of the quality of a game. I just don't think it, it needs to be as subject, subjective as it is
1: well, um, before you go play, I would like to, for the, the, uh, the game, Final Fantasy 13 that had an absolutely wonderful battle system, incredibly fun to play, but the stupidest story I've ever heard, and I could not keep playing that game because of the story <laughs> specifically. Come on,
2: it's Final Fantasy, what do you expect at this point?
0: And yet, you're still going to find people out there who are going to say, "Oh, well, it was an amazing story, and I enjoyed it very much." And at the end of the day, there's nothing more subjective about a game than the story, and that's something that I feel you're going to have to decide for yourself, regardless of what you read in a review. Personally, I would never trust a review to tell me how good or bad a story was, because right. the story is is something personal. Whether or not you can, I can relate agree with
2: to. That. Got mad Sorry? About Lost Odyssey, I know a lot of people got, or a lot of reviewers got pissy with Lost Odyssey because they felt the plot was cliché, though personally I thought it was one of the better plots that had come out in recent times. I think, for me, the best thing that could happen for reviewers is for reviewers to be familiar with the damn genre they're reviewing. Nothing pisses me off more when, say, we have Eric Brudvig reviewing a classic JRPG and pitching a fit about it because it is a classic JRPG. Or if you remember back in the day when IGN was reviewing 2D shooters on the Dreamcast, and they were giving them low scores because you could play through them with infinite continues and beat them in 30 minutes. I think if you're missing the complete point of a game, you don't need to be reviewing it. And I think that's a large part of the issue with current day reviewers is that they're not necessarily getting the game. Steel Diver is my big example of a current game. Because no one talks about expert mode or finding decals or the medals or anything like that. And that's most of the game. You can blaze blaze through the game in four hours, but I've already put 15 hours into the game trying to get everything. So I think in general, reviewers, they're not specialized enough in a specific genre to where they can adequately review a game. And a lot of niche-type titles get left in the cold because... I mean, they're no better than a frat boy who sits around playing Madden all day.
0: Right, ultimately, I, I actually feel that solidifies my point, is that, yeah, I mean, you're not going to find these people, or these people don't exist, so they should shut up about things that they don't understand, and tell us things that they can tell us that are factual, cor- factually correct and informative to help us make a good buying decision. I wouldn't expect it necessarily to be imposed on, on, on the whole industry, but, you know, at least personally, I feel that going forward when I would write reviews, I would try to avoid too much on on the subjective
1: side i I guess you know i'm just on the other end where it's like i i don't know how i could write the review because all i think all i could do if i wrote a review of something i could just really give you my thoughts about it and how i felt when i played the thing otherwise i feel that if i try to write a review that like you Mm -hmm. want it would just be dry and boring and i wouldn't want to read it myself
0: and, well, that's the thing, is this this feeling that reviews are supposed to be a form of entertainment themselves, and I don't necessarily buy into that. You know, if, if you're looking for entertainment in your review, then it's not really so much something useful as it is something for enjoyment. And I, I just – I don't see how the two things can coexist at, at that point. It's like, it's like them giving the news but trying to make it, you know, funny, you know, in a stand-up routine or something. You know, you're going to lose some of the – the the gravitas and you're gonna you're gonna you're always going to sacrifice some important points to make it entertaining for people.
2: With the review you, you have to have some some things that are subjective. I mean it's a review. it is an opinion at the end of the day. My only issue is that more times than not, from what I've seen, it's generally an uninformed opinion, at least for the big sites. And all I really want from, say, I guess the review industry is for these sites to put a little bit more emphasis on trying to get people that understand certain genres or maybe have a competency test for a reviewer. So a high-level one would be understanding rank in Battle Gadiga or something. Because my philosophy is, at least when reviewing things, because I do that from time to time, I tend to give the developer the benefit of the doubt, and I don't go in as, I'm JP and I'm going to review it this way. I try to think, what is the developer trying to do with this game? What is the system the developers put in this game? And were they successful in doing it if it was a good idea in the first place? Of course, if, say, you try to get me to review a game like Guitar Hero, I would say no because I can't play games like that and it would be a futile effort. And I think that's what a lot of reviewers don't have anymore, and it really seems to me that most reviewers are jaded. You know, well, this has already been done before, so it's no good. Well, okay, then why are we giving Final Fantasy 20,000 a nine? when Final Fantasy has already been done 20,000 times, and all we're doing is changing how we navigate menus.
1: See, I, I think that that is just one of those things where there's just certain names in certain series in the gaming world just command higher scores because they can.
2: Right, right, exactly. Which
1: it's is a problem.
2: It's
0: kind of silly, yes. That is exactly. definitely a problem. I mean, there's this there's this relationship that everyone knows exists between publishers, developers, and game reviewers, wherein you got to be careful how you tread because you don't want to step on the toes of one of these giants, because I mean that may very well be the end of your publication. You know, if you if you're not getting early reviews, if you're not getting the exclusive, if you're not getting the interviews because you pissed somebody off, well, you know, you're losing your readership, you're losing your income, and so you you gotta you gotta step carefully.
2: And I would like to take this time to assure the people at D3 that Dream Trigger will have a very nice review.
3: All right,
0: final thoughts on reviews.
3: Final thoughts on that? Well, again, trying to write some myself here recently. The main thing you got to try to get across is, again, your enjoyment level on it and why you enjoyed it. And that's basically what I look for and what I try to get out there.
0: All right, I think we got uh, a good idea of Basil and JP's ideas on there. Uh, Do you guys want to sum it up really quickly?
1: No. (laughs) Okay. I like video games. I wish people liked video games that I like. That's (laughs) what I call a review theme.
2: (laughs) That works for me.
0: All right, so we're going to move on to our next topic, which up until recently was the biggest gaming topic on uh, every site, the next generation of consoles, which has apparently just been announced by Nintendo. They have announced that they will be releasing a new console. In case you haven't heard about it, it is supposed to be significantly more powerful than the Xbox 360 or the PlayStation 3. It is supposed to come out sometime next year, probably not early next year. It will not have 3D. It will have a touchscreen of some kind in a controller it hasn't been specified whether that will be the default controller for the device but it is does seem pretty certain that the device will also come with some form of waggle control similar to the wii what are your thoughts on this are you willing to give a new system a chance you know this i don't want to say early because this console cycle has gone actually longer than what is usually expected, this would actually be right on time. But I think there's also this sentiment that maybe it is too early, that maybe console cycles should be longer, and Microsoft and Sony have obviously followed that philosophy. Do you guys think it's too early? Are you guys willing to give them a shot next year?
2: I don't think it's too early for Nintendo, because Microsoft and Sony pretty much jumped on their little bandwagon. So from Nintendo's perspective, they've got to jump up and do something, because now you've got people waving their arms in front of the Connect or... Uh, waving a dildo in front of the screen with Move. So Nintendo certainly had to do something. That said, why is everyone just doing what the Dreamcast did ten years ago? We had motion controls on the Dreamcast. We had the screen in the controller. Nintendo, why don't you just make a Dreamcast Two and be done with it?
0: Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind as well. Was the VMU, which I thought was, and I always thought was was kind of sad that no one ever followed up on the idea of the VMU on the Dreamcast which was one of the greatest ideas in my opinion it ever. Really was. Yeah. yeah. It was it was I had so much fun I mean the battery life was terrible. I actually bought <laughs> right. like forty of those batteries. I still have some leftovers to this day. And you always hear that
2: beep every time you
0: turn on the console. <laughs> but despite that I was you know, I was playing KO Adventure all over the place.
2: Of course. And when size so, of Arcadia you had the little download game that unlocked content in the main game.
0: You had the snake game with trick style as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great idea. And for uh, sports games, football games, I never played them much myself. But the idea to be able to pick plays in your controller without, you know, your opponent seeing them was a great idea. And here we are 12 years later. Right. And now we're hearing, you know, rumors. Uh, although this is, you know, to be fair, it's it's supposed to be an HD screen, which I don't understand. I don't know why it's supposed to be an HD screen on such a small right. device. Uh, right. But at the same time, it's supposed that, that... to be touch screen.
2: Right, and that's different different enough. And I think for Nintendo, like considering the DS, the best innovation from the DS was not the touchscreen. It was the dual screens. That was brilliant.
0: From what I've heard, it sounds like that's kind of the idea, that the dual screen is actually the key here in the new Nintendo system. They're actually going for a sort of living room DS.
2: Right. And even though they've already done that with the GBA connectivity with the GameCube, even though, well, that required a lot of stuff.
0: Right, and in this case, you're going to have a touchscreen in, in your right. hands, kind of like yeah, you have the touchscreen at the bottom of the DS.
2: Touchscreen gimmick is kind of lame. I mean, it's nice for navigating menus, but in terms of playing games, I don't think it's worthwhile.
0: But that's that's a useful function. I mean, you see that in the DS, and that's right. I mean, right now... The way that games work is you do navigate menus you know, over what you're doing, and it interrupts your gameplay session to have to go through menus and do things. Right, and that's I the mean, best thing
2: about the touchscreen. I'm just saying in general, I don't like if you have a system that's just a touchscreen, cough, cough, it's kind of worthless and pointless. I, don't...
1: I think what the trick is, is more that I don't think the, the amount of money to produce a touchscreen is any different than a non screen. So why not throw that in there just in case? I'm not I, I would not be surprised at this point. There are so many touchscreens out there in the world, I bet, especially with the cheaper ones that Nintendo tends to go with, it's not quite the, you know, really fancy ones where you just can tap it on your fingers, you have to press down a little bit. I bet those are as cheap as dirt as far as comparing them to regular screens.
0: You know, actually, I'm not certain because, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the difference between resistive and capacitive touchscreens. And the thing is that I'm thinking that they're going to go with a capacitive touchscreen. I actually don't think they're going to go with a resistive touchscreen. But, yeah, never know. I mean, you can't use – you can't use – well – It's difficult to use a stylus with a capacitive touchscreen unless you have a special stylus. So they might go with the resistive route since they do seem to like their styluses. But
1: But I think what Nintendo's going for more... And also, I totally called this whole uh, next console thing in the last episode. When we were we're talking about E3 and Nintendo, what they're going to show. And it's exactly what I said it would be, where they're going to show off the console and they will actually see the actual console next year. I think they... We're expecting the 3DS chip by itself to make a bigger splash than it did. And
0: we talked about this last week and coming – well, not last week, last episode, but now coming in, there are reports that the 3DS is not doing as well as they had hoped.
2: Well, that's their own damn fault because they – I mean they have a game drought with it. Can you really complain when you don't have much on the system to sell the system? You can't put out a new Nintendo console with minimum fanfare. I mean, with the DS, the DS didn't initially take off. It had very limited numbers, and you couldn't find one for a few months. But it didn't blow up until, I guess, Nintendogs came out. I mean, it, the 3DS will do fine once we have the new Mario Kart, the new 3D Mario, and all this.
1: I think so Nintendo I thinks Nintendo they're hot shit right now. Like, I think Nintendo <laughs> thinks they're hot Apparently. stuff, and they think they can just print money, and the fact is, no... You have to work at it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that got proved last generation. I mean, last generation, you know, the GameCube ended up, you know, last place. So, right. so then going forward on this topic, though, on next gen systems, then do you believe that Microsoft and Sony should and will follow suit? Will they feel pressured by the fact that Nintendo is releasing next year? And will we be seeing a Microsoft or Sony console in 2013?
1: I already thought we were going to, anyway. So I don't, I don't see this as a difference. So you think that was, a, that was their plan all along? I, I think Sony really wants to do the whole 10-year you know, cycle. Let's make as much money on this goddamn money sink as we can. No, I think Microsoft was planning from the very beginning to say, oh, yeah, we're also doing a 10-year cycle, and then jump on in at 13.
2: Okay, well, Microsoft... but you've still got Connect that they need to do something with because they're not. You're right,
1: gonna and that's going to give them two years to do it with. Right. And then we'll see the better version of Kinect bundled with the new Xbox in 2013.
0: So that's what you guys see Mo, going forward, is there all going to be motion controls, I mean, by default, PS4, Xbox 720, motion controls, all the way?
1: I don't think there's any way you can't. I mean, motion controls are so solidified in the very, very casual market that makes so much money right now, you, you have to.
2: What I imagine will happen will Sony will come, off, come out ripping off whatever Nintendo does this go-round and Microsoft will just make a virtual reality unit or something.
0: Well, and we spoke about this earlier, and is it really such a bad thing? I mean, we spoke about the fact that VMUs are awesome. Would it be such a bad thing for for them to be included in our next-gen systems, you know, to have something along those lines in uh, the next Microsoft or Sony system?
2: No, I'm not saying it'll be a bad thing. I'm just saying, given how this generation has played out, I imagine Sony will do exactly what Nintendo does, and then Microsoft will expand on what Nintendo does and do something slightly different that probably has greater technological implications because the Kinect's really impressive hardware. I mean, it, there's a lot of neat shit going on with the Kinect, it's just not on the Xbox 360, which is kind of bizarre.
0: Well, do you think they'll capitalize that for the next generation? Maybe, maybe they're you know they're they're waiting and they're watching and they're going to take ideas from what they're seeing out there and then just incorporate it into next gen. I mean, this was I think most people expected this to be kind of like a not exactly a tech demo, but more of a, a learning experience, I guess, for them. Put it out there and see what it can do, see what they can do with it, and then maybe next gen they'd get it
2: right.
1: I think it was a test At run. At this
2: point, I don't really want to give well, I don't want to give Microsoft that much credit because they haven't been too smart lately but sure why not
1: well no i think they actually is it the case of if it took off super well and they could you know live off that for the next several years awesome great otherwise yeah i could totally see them going let's put this out let's wait but make what money we can and then iterate on it for a really awesome version next go around
0: yeah i think that makes sense and the the reason i i I agree with that sentiment is the idea that it looks like that this was kind of like a trial run and the reason for that is that it looks like they're going to be trying to incorporate this into their pc market you know as a part of maybe windows 8 and sort of the future of computing the natural user interface you know the whole minority report thing that everyone's been talking about for you know since the movie came out and so you know they put it out there they get people used to the idea i mean they got it in 10, 15 million, however many homes right now. And so when the next PC comes out with this technology, people will buy into it. People will welcome this into their homes, and, you know, they'll learn how to use it, and, you know, it'll take off on, on two fronts, you know, on the Xbox 720 and on Windows 8 or whatever iteration of Windows they released this with.
2: Right. In, ter- in terms of implementing the Connect with the PC, that is sheer brilliance. I mean, that is the next step in technology go Microsoft, you just beat the crap out of Steve Jobs. But in terms of the consoles, you know, they just released this, what, $150 toy that you connect to your 360 that is the basis for future technology, presumably, and they didn't really do much with it, at least so far they haven't. I know people can say, well, they've got these six games coming out, but what do they have beyond that? And well, they the, made a crap
0: of load of money off of it. Right, too. right,
2: but no, I'm talking about a consumer standpoint, not Microsoft shareholders. And from a consumer standpoint, to me, this streams Sega CD. Well, I just bought a $150 Connect, and now they're putting out another system. Or but, but, I guess 32X would be the
1: better. Uh, but they're not. It's because if they do this on our time period we're talking about, that's in two years. People will be ready for something new at that point. As long as they can give us some sort of doldrum version, you know, games, some, some you know trickle of games out now, people will be ready to spend a lot of money in. in I think two years. Well, here's the thing, though. They're not really putting much out on the Kinect right now. When was the last time a new Kinect game came out? Well, this week, Carnival Games. What? Okay,
0: okay. Well, <laughs> despite that, there's yeah, there's that, unfortunately. But no, despite that, there's also this other thing that you got to realize is that for a core gamer, we buy and play video games on a weekly, monthly, you know, every other month basis. But for the kind of people who are purchasing Kinects, they don't actually expect to buy games. They don't understand the idea of following games, keeping informed of what's coming out of releases, and then purchasing games on a regular basis. Most of these people buy these Connects. They keep them hooked up as an appliance for, you know, when the, their their friends come over, when a, you know somebody's kids come over, when they have a party, whatever it might be. And all they need is Dan Central and Connect Adventures and Kinect Sports and. You know, As long as that provides them with the entertainment that they want and maybe one game release a year that they might happen to stop by and look at, that's enough for most of these people. Those are right. the types of people, but the only people disappointed by the regular game releases are the people who buy regular game releases, and that's us, and right. we are not the target audience for Kinect.
2: only people you really make money off of in the gaming industry are the people that buy the software. I mean, it's all well and good that they sold $15 million, and given how the Connect was priced, I'm sure they made a lot of money. But the thing is, are these same people that just bought a Kinect and have Dance Central to bust out at parties, are they really going to care about a four or $500 piece of tech two years down the road that does exactly what they're doing with Dance Central? I mean, well, with Wii, you have good enough, I think, for most people. They can play Wii Sports, Wii Sports Resort. Do they really care about the PlayStation Move? Probably not. Now, the people who have Kinect, they have their Dance Central, they have Kinect Sports, they'll have Kinect Sports too. Do they really care about Xbox 720? Initially, probably not. And the issue that I'm seeing is that, and this is just so far, I mean, Microsoft has two years, but given how Microsoft operates, in that two years they tend to put out four games, It's you have these core gamers who picked up Kinect, and they're excited about whatever Microsoft will do with it, and then, say, next year at E3 or TGS or whatever, Microsoft announces the next console, and all these people have a total of five games for their Connect. I don't think, if I was in their position, if I had a Connect and I bought into this technology and I wanted all these cool games, which I plan on getting one for Project Draco, go Yukio Fudatsuki. but that's kind of the same thing that happened with the 32X. Everyone went out, they bought this attachment for the Sega Genesis, A few games came out, and then Sega said, hey, now we have a Saturn. Screw the 32X. My question is, is Microsoft going to continue supporting the Kinect once they release the, I guess, Xbox 720? Let's call it that, if they do. no, Because you have – what Microsoft seems to have forgotten is that the most important people in the video game market are your core gamers. Casual gamers are cute, they'll buy your system, and if you're Nintendo and you price things tr- cleverly, cleverly, then you'll make a lot of money, but they're not the ones running out and buying the new software, keeping the money rolling, which is what Nintendo was finding out right now since their profits are going down because everyone has two DSs and two Wiis, and we all have copies of Mario Kart.
1: I think, JP, you, you, you just brought up two points. Uh, point one with Microsoft is, I think when we see the next Connect. I think the base technology is going to be the same, just with HD cameras. And so what's probably going to happen is, for that initial couple of runs of games, right, for the next system, you could probably use your Connect for them. But the that trick will be, be and then afterwards, you know, they're going to move more on up to the Connect um, HD, as it were. And you could see that. I think Nintendo is doing exactly what they always planned to. And I think it really shows what they're playing with the Wii now and DS, 3DS, based on what they did with the DS, which was right. constantly iterating on it. Although, I think they sort of took the whole Steve Jobs Apple thing. But I think with the problem with the 3DS, actually, they think they took it a little bit too far. Because I get a lot of people at the, at the store that I work at that might be a place where they want to stop to buy games. <laughs> where Maybe. Perhaps. Or if you'd like to reserve something or get a subscription to a certain informative magazine, you could. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyways, you know, there's a lot of people out there who just bought XLs who aren't quite ready to make that next jump all over again. And so I think it's pretty smart Nintendo to plan this now. Um, And if Microsoft sits on it for just a little bit longer, I think in two years, they'll be good. Um, because I think all they have to really do is announce is some sort of crazy connect interaction with Call of Duty as a launch game for the oh next God. system, and they're and they're set, they're done, it's over. Now they're well, we're
2: saying Call of Duty and not Halo. How far has gaming fallen?
0: Yeah, well, and then there's this. There's another idea here: the idea that maybe, and this was done with previous consoles like the PS2, is that this is a Trojan horse. You know, you attach it to a game console as a way to get the technology a bit more widely accepted because right now connect is the cool thing you know it's the big thing that everyone's talking about and at this point you know you hear you know i hear it day to day people talking about it and, and a lot of the people who haven't used or who do not own a connect are very interested in the device even though they might not be interested enough to purchase one people are talking about it it's something that they're thinking about and that's really what you want you want mind share right you want people to think video games connect People get used to this idea, and so when you start introducing it in other areas, whether it be PC or the next-gen console, people are a lot more accepting of the idea and even come to expect it and are willing to shell out money to have the next product. It's kind of like the cult of the job. We buy it because it is the cool thing to have, and if you don't have one, you are not one of the cool people.
2: Well, unlike with Jobs it's an Apple, it's actually useful and not overpriced crap, so just had to throw my Apple hate out there. I, th- I think in the grand scheme of things, Connect was a brilliant idea, and I think it really is the next step in technology. Um, my only issue with them is how they're handling it on the 360, which is similar to how Nintendo's handling the 3DS, where they just sort of expected everyone to buy this hardware and forget that they want new games.
1: Well, I, I think they, they, they know this. problem is you're talking about a, a launch of a new system. And after, if there's always a glut of nothing until they can get the steady stream of games coming in well, of after course. the launch. And that's literally what we're stuck with right now. We're just in that right. glut for both the Kinect and the 3DS.
2: But my only issue with the Kinect is, all right, with the DS, when the DS came out and it had its glut and I was excited as hell when Zookeeper came out. I at least had a very good idea of at least 10 or 12 games eventually coming to the system. That would be really awesome and even with the 3DS there's a good six seven or so games that I'm really excited about that are coming in the future with the Kinect I have two The Steel Battalion sequel and Project Draco and I mean there may be two or three more other ones but it seems to me that most people don't really know what's coming out on the Kinect and Microsoft isn't really doing much with the Kinect I mean again it seems like their glut for the Kinect is worse than what, say, someone experienced on the DS or on the 360, because we're kind of getting far away from its launch, and nothing's really coming out at all. At least with and the 360 and DS, after, what, three, four months, you started getting some good games.
1: The trick is is that what's coming out right now for the Kinect is the Michael Jackson game, the Carnival Games game. More motiony, you know, family-friendly stuff for those families who are actually looking for something kind of like Dance Central, but not quite. And I think, once, I think we need to re-have really this conversation again after E3.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think maybe we should wait to see to, to E3 before we, we call Microsoft's bluff on this. So um, we'll, we'll leave it at this, and because uh, we're uh, running kind of long, and we still got the most important topic of the night, the biggest news story that overtook Nintendo's new system, and that is the... PSN outage and the data leak which was a huge PR and every single kind of disaster you can think of to name for Sony and unless you're living under a rock you know what we're talking about and this is it's been what two weeks now PSN has been down and there was a ...breach of PlayStation Network security, as well as the Sony Online Entertainment security, which just happened even more recently, and credit card information was stolen. Sony claims that it was at least encrypted, but reports are coming out now that they took very little to no effort to actually protect these networks and the information. There is a class action lawsuit, as you would expect... You know, there's all kinds of anger and hatred and rumors that maybe Anonymous did it, and Anonymous says they didn't do it. Which, who who did or didn't do it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, I think the biggest issue is how Sony handled it, and that's the fact that you know they took a really long time to respond. I mean, Howard Stringer, as as far as I know, barely apologized for the first time. He came out with an apology. I saw this just a couple hours ago. Uh, I know that there were some other people who did come out and apologize previous to that, and even the US government has gotten involved at this point. It's, it's the big thing right now. I mean, in your opinions, can Sony recover from this? Will they recover from this? You know, what do they need to do to recover from this? You know, and how should they have handled the situa- situation differently? But start off starting off first. Do you guys think that Sony will ever recover from this? Do you think that this is a a game-ending blunder for them?
3: No, not at all.
2: With no the PlayStation brand, I mean, the way I view it, once everyone gets their PSN back and they go back to playing Call of Duty or whatever, they're not going. the general consumer is not going to care two months down the road. I mean, some people who are very uptight about their information being on the Internet may care, but despite Microsoft's best efforts of making Xbox Live 50% off now and having a free weekend of Xbox Live, I don't think this is a game-ender for Sony, unfortunately, because I would love to see that happen.
0: But I have heard, you know, there have been reports that some people are jumping ship. I don't know numbers. I mean, it could have just been, you know, a very small poll. But there are people who are angry. And, I mean, it does seem like a good opportunity for Microsoft to have people jump ship. I mean, you guys really don't think it's going to encourage a mass migration away, at least for the people who are multi-console owners?
1: Not a mass one, no. Like, I work on the uh, front lines. And so I've been seeing this happen, where I've got a couple of people who have traded in their PS3s. Four 360s. It has happened. But it's not like they're coming in droves, right there. We're getting, like, one or two out of hundreds.
2: Right. A few people will switch over, but... I mean, even if people switched over, it doesn't matter. PSN is free. It, Sony's not losing a subscription every time this happens, because no one really cares about PSN Plus or whatever it is.
1: They're losing so, oodles and home money.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's that, I guess. Well, how many people give a shit about home?
1: Uh, enough that it makes them millions.
2: Really, God, that's bad. Yeah.
1: Like home <laughs> is like is just like free money for Sony. Do
2: these jackasses like, never hear of Second Life or World of Warcraft? I don't.
1: Apparently eh, not, but whatever. Sony certainly <laughs> loves them.
2: Okay, well, and, but be... uh,
1: you know the 360s. They had you know reports of red Rigs, you know, where 360s were dying on mass, and yet Microsoft pulled themselves out of it.
2: Right, that's a very... You know,
1: good... <laughs> and this is just an internet outage for a couple of weeks. This time next year, people have forgotten that it even happened. What's going to yeah. screw up their Sony is all the stuff with the governments, you know, and the lawsuits and stuff. And them going, <laughs> right. what in the world did you just do, Sony, with all our, yo know, citizens' information? Wait, what? That's where Sony's going to get themselves screwed on um, on this whole PSN thing.
0: So how do they fix that? Going forward, what do they do? I mean, what is... We all know they already screwed up completely. I mean, they botched the handling of it so far. But going forward, how do they make good? How do they minimize the impact of this as much
1: as possible?
2: They do what they probably should have done at the start, or what it seems they pretty much did, and they contract Microsoft to fix it.
1: You know, they actually get actual Internet security.
0: Well, I mean – Supposedly, and this is what 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 the rumors were, is that the reason why it was down for so long was not because you know they were royally screwed, but simply because there was an attempt to change the way things worked there. I mean, to redesign and rebuild things in such a way that this would not happen again. Now you can buy there, you can not buy that, but you know I would hope that after having been down for two weeks, that they there should have been some serious changes in procedure, in, in, in hardware, in security, you know, software security, hardware security, anything and everything that they could do to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And then that they would at the very least communicate to the users that this and this and this is what we have changed. And this is why you can believe that going forward, this won't happen again. Now, that said, I don't think that many people necessarily care so much. about. I mean, they do like to hear that and they will want to hear that. But the mindset that a lot of people is you screwed up. I didn't get PSN for two weeks. I deserve some form of compensation, and um, I think that they need to address that. I mean, I've heard some comments about some minor things here and there that they might be giving yeah, away. Yeah, giving some like – So here's Sonic download.
3: 2. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy.
0: But, I mean, do you need to – do you think they need to make some kind of bigger gesture? Free PSN Plus for a year for everyone, or obviously probably not something that drastic, but some kind of grand gesture – that would win them the goodwill of these people or that they should just ignore people for two months and pretend nothing happened and hope it all goes away.
2: I imagine Uh, Sony is going to do the latter of what you said. I I don't see Sony doing a grand gesture or even really caring in the long run. They're just going to say, well, this is what we gave you. We're sorry. See you when uncharted five comes out or whatever.
1: Yeah. We'll see like a PSN game come, you know, for free. You know, we might get, like, Pain or Sonic 2 or Crash Bandicoot. You'll, you'll, we'll get something out of it that no one really wants. We're giving it anyways. And then they'll just keep going on, you know, business as usual. It really sucks for people like SOCOM, though, because that game came out right when the outages happened, and that's a game that lives and dies off its online, and it had no online.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of developers, too, that they've burned with this as well. Developers who have said, we've lost, I mean, EA actually came out and said, yeah, we've lost, you know, a significant amount of money because of this outage. Do you think they should be doing something to compensate developers? Do you think they're going to lose any developer support over this?
2: No, at this point, the PlayStation brand has developers by the balls. I mean, what are you going to do? They're not Sega. You can't just up and leave them. They're
1: PlayStation. The fact is, they're still going to get every single multi-platform release because it's they're already in development in the first place to begin with already right now. you know There's no reason not to do it, and all their first-party stuff, well, Sony's making it anyways. So what do they care?
0: So then what we take away from this whole ordeal is Sony are a bunch of morons. They royally screwed up. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They shafted everyone, and it doesn't matter because no one really cares that much. It's all going to go away in a few months, and Sony is probably not going to learn anything from this. No, I think they're going to... ...for their entirety of existence.
1: No, no, I think they are going to learn about this. I think this particular problem that they're having right now will never happen again. They're just going to make some other stupid asinine decision that's going to bite them in the butt later. Well, the
2: thing, Sony, if they learned, is they would let these little little hacker kids have their Linux on their PS3 for whatever reason and quit pissing off the homebrew community because... That's why this is happening, is because Sony pissed off these little kids that want to hack their PS3 for whatever reason and put Linux on it.
0: Well, here's the thing you have to realize is that Sony's is a media content provider, meaning they provide movies and music and all of these things. And those kind of companies are the most strict and the most asinine when it comes to giving people freedom to do things with devices or software or whatever it might be. They believe... They're dead set in the belief that they can control anything and everything that anyone does with their product and that they have the right to, and it doesn't work that way. It will never work that way. There are always going to be people who are going to defy that, and you're going to always end up with disasters like this. And, you know, Sony's not going to change.
2: Right, and, and that's what they're not – I mean, there's only so much you can do in terms of security, but Sony is consistently pissing these people off. I mean, I post on forums where people exchange dev kits and are always in the homebrew. And everyone on those boards hates Sony because Sony's constantly suing them or the whole GeoHots thing and all this. I mean, these aren't anonymous. These are intelligent people who sit around making their own games and exploring the infrastructure of these companies. If you keep pissing them off, this stuff will happen.
1: You know what the the lesson is Sony's going to take away from this? To just not have this as an option for the PS4.
0: Less features, more lockdown. (laughs) Probably. PS4
1: it only does everything right
0: exactly <laughs> okay so i thank you guys for joining me you know, it was an interesting discussion there and me hopefully sony does learn something but um we're not going to hold our breaths and i hope you'll all join us two weeks from now for the next sestran dreamcast thank you all and goodbye
1: You let you know they making friends.